Well, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Steve Pruitt, and it is a pleasure and an honor for me to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. Uh, it might help a little bit if you want to follow along for you to open your Bible app, uh, the version, and uh, follow along with that. I think they'll have that available uh, for you as well, if you're streaming especially. Uh, also, about halfway through the message, we'll uh, pause for a little bit and take a little bit of a break, and there will be a question for you to consider if you would like to do that, and uh, just so you have a heads up on that. Well, for the last several weeks, Aaron's been talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is, uh, what he does, and how he has been active down through the history of the world from the time of creation even to the present time. And I've appreciated his uh, desire for accuracy and clarity as he's been dealing with a subject that is just not that easy for our human minds to grasp. Now, for the last couple of weeks of the series, Jeff and I are focusing on a walk in the Spirit. Jeff's message last week was on why we should walk in the Spirit, and today I'm going to focus on just how we go about doing that, how we walk in the Spirit. And to be honest, it's just a little bit intimidating. It's kind of like being asked to talk about humility and how I mastered it. It just kind of feels that way. How do you teach a subject like this and not imply that you have it mastered because you're called upon to teach it? So I'm dealing with that as we go along, and I'm hoping to communicate to you that a walk in the Spirit is not something that you master as you walk this earth, but it is something that we can all get a whole lot better at as we learn how much we need the Spirit of God at every single stage of our walk and as we learn to depend on Him actually more and more along the way. We don't get more autonomous and powerful in it. We get more dependent as we go. So I feel pretty comfortable with that if you know that right up front. Why don't we pray together and then we'll begin. Father, as we look at this subject, we ask that you would come be our teacher. Help us to see these things and be our trainer. Begin to groom us and help us so that we can learn what it is that you have done, this provision you've made for us, for us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to see the beauty of this walk that you've arranged for us. And open our eyes this morning and our hearts so that we can see and apply these things that you've laid out for us in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, when the Bible speaks of a walk in the Spirit, as Jeff said, it is using a metaphor. It's a descriptive way of talking about our practical daily living with the Holy Spirit at the center of our lives. And as we think about what um, it is, sometimes we call it a walk with Jesus. Sometimes we call it walking with God. Sometimes it's a walk in the Spirit. Sometimes it's keeping in step with the Spirit. A lot of terms that we use to try to wrap our heads around just what it is when we're walking with the Spirit. And 
as we think about what a walk in the Spirit is, it might be important for us to first talk about what it isn't. First of all, walking in the Spirit is never a means of salvation. That means it doesn't save us from the penalty for our sins. Only the death of Christ can do that for us. In fact, when we try to walk in the Spirit in order to be saved or stay saved, we're not walking in the Spirit at all. We are walking in the flesh because our old sinful nature always wants to earn something for itself. That is not a walk in the Spirit. Also, a walk in the Spirit doesn't make us more loved or acceptable to God. We are loved and accepted in the Beloved, in Christ Himself. We are accepted in Jesus and because of Jesus. Also, a walk in the Spirit doesn't earn us more grace than we've been given in Jesus. Some churches teach that you can earn God's grace incrementally through holy living and sacraments and good works and donations and things like that. But that is just not true. Because a grace that is earned is not grace at all. So we are not saved or more saved or kept saved from the penalty of our sin by walking in the Spirit. It is just important for us to realize that right up front or we'll mess the rest of it up. But how we walk this journey does really make a huge difference in our lives. There are actually incredible benefits to gain by walking in the Spirit, and it's important that we know that. There's also a lot of sorrows that we avoid by walking in the Spirit. As Jeff said last week, we were never designed to walk on our own. And when we try to do that, it just messes everything up. Everybody around us and even ourselves gets destroyed when we try to do this. Eventually, it just does not work. Also, as he said, walking in the Spirit is the only way to find freedom from slavery to sin in our lives. And it's the only way to grow to maturity as believers. It's the only way to be free from the bondage of rule keeping that tries to merit God's grace. And it's the only way for us to produce lasting fruit that will attract them to the Savior that they so desperately need. Well, in the Bible, walking in the Spirit isn't reserved for some elite bunch of holy people. It's presented in the Bible as the norm for every single believer, and it's a commandment that's given to every believer. But so often, we just don't know how to actually walk in the Spirit in a healthy, regenerative way. And so that's what I'd like to touch on today. I'd like you to think of this as one of those one page quick start guides that you get with your appliance or your device that isn't really the full manual but it gets you it gets you going in the right direction and it lines up with the full manual i want to touch today on four answers to the question of how do we 
walk in the Spirit? And the first answer to that is that we start our walk by resting in God's work. And you might think, that's a little bit strange. A walk that starts in a rest? And, and yeah, it is kind of strange, but, but hear me out. One of the very first things that the Spirit of God does uh, is to lead you to trust in Jesus as Savior. He knows that apart from that, you have no hope for eternity. And so he starts right off leading you to trust in the finished work of Christ. That is the beginning of your new life as in a walk with God. And that's the point actually where the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you when you believe in Jesus. And on the way to that trust, the Spirit leads you to see your sin and to have actually a sense of conviction and guilt about that sin. He leads you to understand that there's no way that you can be good enough on your own to meet God's holy standards. And then as you respond to that conviction and you kind of give up hope of earning your own salvation, the Holy Spirit points you to Jesus and he leads you to stop trying and to start trusting. To put your trust in the one who has paid your sin debt and has bought your pardon. Our eternal salvation and a walk with the Spirit then starts when we cease from our own works and we rest our faith in God's work for our salvation. So that is the beginning. Then once we're depending on Jesus for our our, our eternal salvation, it's not long before we see that we need to depend on him just as much for our day-to-day transformation and even the delivery from the slaveries that we've uh, attached ourselves to in our early years. And so after we start our walk with resting in God's work, we continue our walk in much the same way, not looking to ourselves, but looking to God's word. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Holy Spirit of God uses the word of God to lead the people of God. It serves as a lamp to um, illumine the path right around us and help us to uh, see pitfalls and traps. And it also serves as a light to our path to give us kind of the, the big picture of where we need to head and where we need to turn next, the direction that our lives should go. It serves in both of those ways. And so down through the ages, believers have depended heavily on the word of God uh, for direction and wisdom and right thinking. And I've found that when the spirit leads me, he most often points me to something in the word of God, to the things that God has already said. In John's gospel, Jesus said that when the spirit would come, he would lead us into all truth. And that he would bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus had said. And so the Holy Spirit, it makes sense. The Holy Spirit was the one who led the people who wrote the scriptures to write just what he wanted. And even now, thousands of years later, he always leads us either with the word of God 
or in agreement with the word of God, at least in ways that would line up to the word of God. So if you want to walk in the spirit, it's going to be a walk depending on the word of God, the Bible. You'll listen to it as it's taught by people like Aaron who take it as the the very words of God and you'll study it yourself to absorb God's thinking and God's truth so that you will have discernment when things come up. The word of God is going to be a central part. You'll check in with it when you're being faced with a decision and when you sense that maybe you ought to go in a direction and then you'll depend on it for direction and wisdom regularly. The Holy Spirit's first tool in his toolbox is the written, infallible word of God, and you can count on it. A third answer as to how we walk in the Spirit is that we walk in the Spirit by yielding to God's will. This one, not so easy. In the Bible, it has two parts. First of all, you present yourself to him. That is part of your yielding. You present yourself to him. Romans 12.1 tells us to present our bodies to him. And then Romans 6.13 tells us to yield or present the members of our bodies to him. We are actually to be living sacrifices offered up to God for him to use just how he wants. He is given the freedom to do what he wants to do with us, in us, and through us. And just as we used to yield to sin in the past, now we yield to righteousness. We comply with it. We don't produce it. We yield to it. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit instead of cooperating with our old nature. We say, here I am, Lord, Um, I'm yours. Uh, Shape me, mold me, use me, however you see fit. You call the shots, Lord. And sometimes I feel like, you know, as soon as I think that I've got a handle on it and I say to the Lord, okay, I got this, that's the very time when I'm just about ready to fall. And so you just present yourself to him and you ask him, to take you and use you and shape you. And in doing this, we're actually entrusting ourselves to his care and we're depending on him to lead us and give us strength along the way as he calls us to do things. But it's really important that we don't stop there. After presenting yourself to him, another way that we yield to him is that we allow him to fill us. You allow him to fill you. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That is to everybody who is a believer. And sometimes we misunderstand, actually, what that is saying. Even though the, the word here used for fill can sometimes mean to fill something up to the full, But here it is not talking about getting filled up more with the Spirit. We can't get a quantity of the Spirit of God as if he was a substance or a fluid instead of a person. 
we already have Jesus himself living inside us in the person of the Holy Spirit, and we don't just get part of him. He is all in. So being filled with the Spirit is actually then not about you getting more of him. It's more like him getting more of you. It's about allowing him to control you in your thoughts and your actions. In the Bible, the word filled is oftentimes just a normal word when it's used with liquids or grain or fish nets and things like that. But sometimes it is actually talking about influence or control. Acts 13 talks about some people being filled with joy and others with jealousy. Acts 19 speaks of being filled with rage or confusion. And in every single case, the people that were filled with whatever that was ended up acting out because of that thing that filled them. It controlled them. And here in Ephesians 5, uh, it compares filling to drunkenness. It says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with alcohol, it does saturate and controls you. And we call it, we don't call it being filled up. We call it being under the influence of alcohol. It is influencing you and changing you and motivating you to do the dumb stuff that drunk people do. Also, when people are filled with demonic forces, they do what demons do, at least what demons do tell them to do anyway. They are under demonic control. Like in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias lied to uh, make himself look good. And Peter said to him, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? If Satan, the father of lies, is filling you, controlling you, you are probably going to be a liar too, or you're going to be doing other stuff that demons do. Uh, That is what it means to be filled in this particular case. Now, on the other hand, if you're being filled with the Spirit, then you are under His influence. You are controlled by Him, and the things that you do are going to be in line with His character. The Apostle Paul calls these things the fruit of the Spirit, as was mentioned last week, and they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. They are the things that are actually displaying the character of Jesus. And by the way, uh, interesting here, the command to be filled with the Spirit is a command, but it's interesting that it's in the passive mood. That means that you don't fill yourself. You let the Spirit fill you or control you. So for me, sometimes I will actually ask God to just take me over, to take my mind and my heart and my mouth and my actions and just uh, use me and strengthen me to do the things that he's calling me to do. I will just uh, consciously just sort of give myself over, yield to him in that way and ask him to fill me. And you know what? I usually don't feel any kind of special power or tingling or anything. And uh, 
also, a lot of times the challenges that I face can still be very, very scary. I can be nervous all the way through. They can be extremely difficult. I can sweat through the whole thing. But in the end, I have this sense that God got me through it and used me. And so often he uses me in ways it's, that it's obvious that they go beyond what I actually could produce in myself. And I'm so grateful that, um, that he does that. I have to remind myself to thank him afterwards. Otherwise, I feel like one of those nine leopards who didn't come back and thank Jesus for their healing. And oftentimes it's hours later and I go, oh, yeah, God, you answered my prayer. You did fill me. You did use me. Thank you so much because it would have been a disaster without you. So also for me personally, it is not a once and done thing when I ask him to fill me or to use me. I can be going along just fine with God using me and blessing what I'm doing. But then in a heartbeat, something comes in. It's a prideful thought, a selfish motivation, the thought like, hey, you're doing pretty good. I wonder if people realize how spiritual you really are right now. I'll have some stupid thought like that, or maybe I'll even sin against someone, and I can blow the whole thing. And I think that that is actually every Christian's experience, if they're really honest. Even the Apostle Paul talked about his struggle with that in Romans chapter 7. If you get a chance, take a look at even the Apostle Paul struggling constantly with sin and doing the right thing and then the wrong thing and all of that. The truth is that being filled with the Spirit is just not a once and done thing. In fact, the command to be filled with the Spirit is in the present tense, which if you, translator, if you translated it literally, it would be keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's to happen uh, regularly over and over again. Now, the indwelling of the Spirit is a once and done thing. When we believe the gospel and we trust Christ as Savior, The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, and that is forever. And it's something that we should be uh, eternally grateful for. Now, it may seem odd, but at this point, I'm going to take a little bit of a break here in the stream and uh, in case you need to tend to something or whatever, and we'll also project a question up that allows you to maybe pause and think about God's presence in your life. And then uh, when uh, you are ready to resume, just uh, you can just pick it up from right where we left off. The question I have for you is this. What privileges, blessings, or benefits to you, do you have from being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God? Referring to that last section there. So, we'll pick it up right there. The indwelling of the Spirit is permanent. And He has promised to be in you forever. But the filling of the Spirit is not a once and done thing. It is not 
permanent in any way. It can actually be short-circuited by our sin, by our negligence, or by other influences that can get us off track. And that's where the fourth answer to the question comes in. We've already seen that uh, we walk in the Spirit by resting in God's work, by looking to His Word, and by yielding to His will. And the fourth thing is that we do it by keeping in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says it very plainly. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul is saying that since we've been given new life by the Spirit of God, we should keep in step with the one who gave us that new life. And this term, keep in step, was actually a military term used to describe soldiers marching under the direction of a commander who would set the direction and the pace for the troops. And it's important to know that this phrase, keep in step, is also in the present tense, just like the be filled with the Spirit. It's in the present tense, which means that it's to be a continual thing. We have to keep on keeping in step. And we do that, first of all, by, and I'm going to list several things here, but first of all, we do that by keeping our eyes on the leader. One of the big reasons the Holy Spirit is given to us is to guide us into truth. And so he is going to be pointing to true thinking and also the true path for us. So just checking in with him and asking him for wisdom and guidance, that's actually what it means to keep your eyes on him. And it's also a good idea when we think he's leading in a certain direction to check our perceptions with the written word to make sure that it's really him who's leading us. He's a a clear communicator, but we're not real clear receptors. And so it's always good to double check with the written word of God to make sure that what what you think you're hearing from him is something that he really would say. And that is one way that we keep in step then, by keeping our eyes on the leader and depending on him to set the pace and to direct us. And then the next way that we keep in step is by stepping out in faith. There comes a point where you may not have all the answers, but you have enough to take a step in the direction that you think the Spirit is leading you. It's a It's not a leap in the dark, though. It's a move in a direction that you sense he's leading and one that lines up with what you know to be true in his word. Uh, My wife Sue and I uh, never received a direct call from God for us to go to the mission field. We didn't see a cloud in the sky in the shape of our island I didn't slip on a banana peel and look up in the sky and hear the voice of God. Nothing like that happened with us. Um, God never stopped us in our tracks and spoke to us. But we knew several things from God's word. One, that Jesus had commanded believers to go into all the world and share the gospel. So we figured that, one, there were people in the jungles of the Philippines that hadn't heard that gospel. 
And two, we were able to learn a foreign language better than some people. And so we just thought that God wouldn't get mad at us if we stepped out and we decided to obey his command to go into all the world. He had already shown us that we could depend on him to take care of us over and over again. He had met our needs and we knew that he was big enough to stop us if we were heading in the wrong direction uh, geographically. So with $135 to our name, I am not exaggerating, and not quite enough monthly support, pretty short on that, we headed out to the Philippines. And God was faithful to supply our needs and even over time to help us to bear fruit and reach a tribal group that had never heard the gospel. So sometimes keeping in step means stepping out in faith, depending that God is going to be with you, depending on him to do that, trusting that he's going to supply your needs and having confidence that he's even able to redirect you if you're heading in the wrong direction. But then along the way, there's another thing that we need to keep in mind. And that is that we keep in step by watching the trail. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That's what it takes. It takes walking carefully watching your step it is a perilous path that we walk here on this earth and we have an enemy that loves to get us off course and snare us when we lived in the jungle we actually did a good bit of hiking and at first we really weren't very good at it Uh, but in our defense it wasn't like those well-groomed hiking trails that they have around here in the jungle you really do need to look everywhere all the time because there are all sorts of things that can snag you or trip you up or sting you or bite you or suck your blood or even squeeze you to death like the big pythons and all of that you always have to watch out for everything in front of you one of the things you have to watch out for at least in the philippine jungle are these long dangling vines that have thorns on them and the vines are very very uh tiny and you can't even hardly see them and if you're not looking out for them you're walking along the trail and those thorns will catch you on your neck and they're hooks and they'll just stop you right in your tracks. And you, uh, or maybe they'll grab your hat and it'll, you'll keep walking and it'll just be dangling there. They are, you have to watch out for those things. And um, you have to stop. You have to back out the hooks, let go of them carefully, and then uh, make sure they're not going to catch you again. And then kick yourself twice for not watching the trail as you walked. You also had to watch out for pig traps on some trails. The Batak people that we worked with made these um, kind of a bow and arrow trap on the side of the the trail and they would um, 
they would stick it there and they, they would put a kind of a trip string across it that you, it was just about invisible. And when a wild pig would walk by, it would spring the trap and you'd have instant shish kebab for dinner. And, uh, but for some reason, they never told me how to look out for those things. Like if there were any sort of codes that they left on trees or anything like that, they didn't do that. And I, I'm not really sure why. I'm a little suspicious. Suspicious, but um, anyway, I did never get caught by them. But uh, and they also another thing they made was pig bombs, which are kind of like landmines. And uh, pigs would bite the the little bomb they would make, and it pretty much blow their head off. And there they would get their dinner. But those things were other; those were also around that you had to watch out for. Now the point is, I was in their world designed by them and for them, and I just had to learn to walk more carefully than they did because they could walk in their world intuitively. And the point is that as children of God, we need to be careful because this ungodly world system has not been designed in our favor. It's not designed for us. It's designed with all sorts of things to uh, block our path, discourage us on our journey, trip us up, and even take us out. And so we need to pay extra careful attention to the trail and just stay alert. First Peter 5.8 tells us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's just waiting to be able to pounce. And if we are to uh, be able to keep in step with the Spirit, we need to keep an eye on the trail and walk very carefully. And we're going to need to depend on our God to help us to recognize and avoid the traps that we have such a hard time seeing sometimes. And then if we do get snagged or we get off course, heading in a direction that that we shouldn't be heading in, we get back in step by making course corrections along the way, just as you would in a hike. All of us tend to stray off the path from time to time, and there is a gracious provision for us in that. It is called confession, which is simply admitting your sin. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise that we have. What happens is we realize that we have sinned and we admit that we've gotten off track. Uh, that's kind of hard for me. That's a really hard part to admit that you did something wrong because you know the consequences and all that. It just, your head messes with you in that. But what I will usually do once I get to that point where I admit that I have sinned is I will then usually ask God for help so I don't get sucked into the sin again. What I don't do is I don't make promises to him that I will never do it again. I'll say something more like, Lord, I really messed up, but and I sinned, and I really do need your help, because without your help, this is what I do. <laughs> this, is, this is what I produce without you helping me. So please, come, help me. And uh, help me to get this thing out of my life. I don't want this sin to be a part of my life. And then when I've gotten that right, I have to get back up, 
dust myself off and get back in step serving Jesus. God usually ends up using my stumbling as a refresher course on just how much I need him. Success doesn't usually do that for me, but failure really does. Well, another way that we keep in step with the Spirit is by walking in community with other believers. Jeff touched on this last week, and the truth is, as believers, we are designed to walk in community with other believers. And that is a very good thing because each of us has blind spots and we need to watch out for each other. The Holy Spirit uses other believers to communicate to us from time to time and sometimes to clarify things for us. Uh, Others can sometimes see things that we can't see. And even though it's not always easy to take that kind of input from others, if you're being a knucklehead, it is to your benefit to have somebody who cares enough about you, who has your back, and who's willing to give you that kind of an input. God has not redeemed us to walk alone. We would be so vulnerable. That's, you know, the lion goes after the one that is apart from the herd. And uh, so he hasn't designed us to do that. He's placed us into the body of Christ, his church, and we can depend on him to use his church community to help us keep in step with the spirit. So there you have it. It's just a quick start guide to walking in the spirit, not comprehensive in any way, but it can get you on the right track. You just start by resting in God's work, then looking to God's word for confirmation in that, yielding to God's will, and then keeping in step with God's spirit. You may want to download the notes for this week, which have a lot of scripture references and supporting verses and stuff like that, that may make a good Bible study for you and others um, on the subject. But before I go, I just want to encourage you that you have the very same Holy Spirit that I have. You have the same spirit that the apostles had and every believer has had down through the ages. So you have the very same potential to walk with Jesus as anyone who has ever lived if you will walk in the spirit. And as you learn to depend on him for every facet of your life, what you'll find is that you'll begin to grow to be more like him. You will grow in joy and you'll also grow in your usefulness in his kingdom. Well, as we pray together and uh, we continue our worship, this would be a good time if you want to and if you're with others to celebrate communion and really celebrate the basis, that entry point of a walk with God, that you have a Savior who has done a complete work for you by shedding his blood and giving his body for you. And as you uh, break the bread and you drink the juice or the wine, um, remember that tremendous inroad that was made for you to be able to walk with your God. Let's pray together. Father, as 
before we wrap this up, we're just so glad that you haven't left us to walk on our own. We all know just how badly that could go. You have given us your spirit to walk with us and guide us, and we're so thankful for that. We pray that you will teach us to walk more carefully, more accurately, more consistently, more dependently on you in the days ahead. I thank you, Lord, for this whole series about the Holy Spirit and the way that it has just opened our eyes afresh to the wonder and the beauty of the Holy Spirit and how it's reminded us of just how active he is in our lives, even when we don't realize it. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for never leaving us nor forsaking us and for working so patiently and graciously with us as we walk this earth. It is a privilege for us to be called your children and such a gracious gift that you've given us that we get to relate to you in this way. Amen.